Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Welcome everyone to this thing called life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and I want to thank you for joining me today, and I hope you are doing well. So today we are kicking off a series about how the donation process works from the perspective of the organ procurement organization, which is what Life Center is, and Life Center is who I work with, and Life Center is one of uh, 47 organ procurement organizations that are under, <clears throat> excuse me, the umbrella of AOPO, which is the Association of Organ Procurement Organizations, although in total, there are about 56. Why I want to do this is I want to help you understand more about the donation process. Um, the donation process is collaborative. It occurs between the hospitals, the OPO, uh, sometimes the coroner off, coroner's office is involved, as well as the funeral home. And I want to explain how the OPO functions and what we do so that you can get a better understanding of how the gifts of organ, eye, and tissue donation come to be, and also learn a little bit more about the intricacies of this life-saving and life-healing process. I want to use this time also um, just for those of you who may be thinking about uh, a career in healthcare, um, working in the OPO doesn't get a lot of attention. Most people um, go towards a hospital setting uh, if they want to be in healthcare. But I just want to shine a light on the work that we do because it's very, very rewarding. It's a wonderful field and community to be a part of. Um, I believe, and I've been here 17 years, that our team, our staff, and we're, we're like a little family here, but I feel like we truly are committed to making a difference in the healing of people and quite frankly, families every day. So I wanna talk about that. So my guest today is a longtime staff member uh, who's been with Life Center, and she's gonna kick off our series by talking about her role in the Donation Support Services or DSS department. And I view DSS as really the heartbeat of what we do because that truly is, it's central to everything that happens and it, it's where donation really begins. So before we dive into that, I wanna remind everyone that June is Pride Month and it's also Men's Health Month. So two great reasons to get more information and facts about organ eye and tissue donation. So with that, please welcome this is Erica Randall to the show. Hello, Erica. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me today. Oh, thank you for being here. I'm really excited to have you on with us and, and talk with our listeners and talk, we'll talk with me about what it is that you do here at Life Center. So let's start with just how long have you been with Life Center? Um, I'm hitting my five and a half year month this month. It seems like it's been longer than that. I know. I feel like <laughs> I've been here forever. <laughs> So let's start off by just 
tell us about what it is that you do and talk about what the role of the DSS department is. Absolutely. So in the DSS, what we do is we take every um, death call and vented call in the tri-state area, our service area that we cover. If it's an organ or vented case, we do pass it off to our DCs and they handle it from there. Um, if the person has passed, a donation coordinator. So they work on the organ team and they will follow cases for potential organ donation. Okay. If a person has passed, um, that falls into our category where we then look into medical history, we search ethics, um, check DMVs just to see if this person would be suitable for tissue and cornea donation. Um, we have strict guidelines that we follow with all of our processors and we have age criteria that we have no control over that's all processor based. And then if we do find someone is suitable for tissue and cornea donation, we then reach out to the family which is something we pride ourselves in wholeheartedly because making that connection with the families and giving them the opportunity to um, have their loved ones become a hero is something we enjoy um, doing and we love working with our families. Once we speak with a family, we make that connection. Um, we alert all of our teams. We work in partnership with all of the coroner's offices, funeral homes, all the hospitals, of course, and then um, all of our teams come together as one and we make the recoveries happen for their families and also for Life Center. So if someone is listening to our podcast today and they want to learn more about what, what does it take to work in the DSS department? Um, the first thing I would say it would take is dedication um, because we give our all to our families. So we have to be very dedicated to remaining professional and also providing them with that comfort that they're going to need in this difficult time. Um, medical background is, is ne not necessarily necessary, but it is recommended to work in the DSS because we do have to review a lot of disease processes and a little, know a lot of medical history. I would also say um, a lot of time we just have to remain positive because we do work with death every single day. And that can take an emotional toll. Um, so remaining positive and also building that bond with your coworkers is important because that's who we depend on to get through the hard cases and the hard days. Mm -hmm. And so talk to me about what is it that motivates you? And you, you have uh, evolved in your role in this department and are now helping others kind of learn the role and, and be successful. Yeah. But what is it that motivates you to come in every day and do this work? Because as you said, you have to be positive because, you know, you're, you're, you're working with families who this really is one of the worst moments in their life because they are, you know, unexpectedly dealing with the loss of someone in their family. So what, what is it that keeps you going? What motivates you? So when I was first hired, I would say within a couple months of my job, my son was four or five and I was explaining to him what I did. So he says to me, mommy, you guys make superheroes. So what motivates me is I get to come to work and he's absolutely correct. I get to turn people into superheroes and I get to give families that chance for their loved one to become that hero 
And it helps down the road with the healing process to know that their loved one's um, passing wasn't for nothing, but it did have so much meaning. Mm-hmm. And so I love, I love telling everybody that's hired into our department, we really make superheroes every single day. So that's what keeps me motivated is giving the families that chance and that opportunity to have some light in this dark time that they're going through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that you bring up a, a, an interesting point as you talk about your, your son being your motivator. But, you know, you have an interesting kind of perspective on this because um, I know that you have a couple family members who were donors, but more recently, your mother-in-law. And I, I'd like you to talk a little bit about that because where I'm going with this is I think there is this misconception that to be a donor, you have to be in perfect health and you have to, you know, and really that's not the case, but I'm going to let you, because you're the expert, the subject matter expert, tell <laughs> us that and weave in your personal story as well. Yeah. So a lot of people are, um, they won't, we've heard on the phones where they won't register because they think they're too sick. Their loved ones didn't register because they were too sick. So a lot of people don't understand that diabetes, blindness, um, neuropathy, um, anything along those lines affects donation. And the big one is cancer. And my mother-in-law was diagnosed last June with stage four cancer. And the first thing she said to me is she said, can I still be a donor? And it kind of took me back that even though this is my field, like this is not the first thing that I need to talk about right now, Right. but it just showed me at that time um, how much she wanted to give to others. So she did pass away in January from her cancer and she was a cornea donor because cancer does not affect the corneas in any type of way. And she was able to restore the gift of eyesight for up to two people. Um, I did get my follow-up letter that the corneas were used So it's just, it provided me so much comfort knowing that somebody else is seeing this world, this, you know, and experiencing things that they've probably never experienced or haven't experienced in such a long time because of my mother-in-law. It's it's a blessing and it gave our family something positive that came out of that, our glimpse of hope. Absolutely. And so I think that's just important to reiterate a truth about donation is that you are never too old or too sick to register to be a donor. You you don't know what gifts you will be able to give at the time of your death. So I encourage you, don't remove yourself. If you're already registered to be a donor, all of that will be determined at the time of your death. And so if there's a, a thorough medical questionnaire that takes place just to evaluate every potential donor. But again, this is really a time for someone to help others uh, when they're no longer here. I think that's really important to highlight. So Erica, what is it that you find, and you can be completely honest, what is it that you find most challenging about your role? Um, About my role, I would think um, the most challenging for me is probably the difficult cases where we do lose children. We have a lot of traumas, a lot of unexpected passings. And those are the ones that are the hardest for a lot of people because it was completely unexpected. Um, I do do a lot of children's cases, unfortunately. Um, However, I'll never forget a time that I reached out to a mom whose young, um, almost newborn baby had passed away. 
And the first thing she said to me was, thank you. Thank you for calling me. And I was very taken back because in her life, I'm nobody. I'm just this employee giving her this opportunity. But to her, it was giving her everything she needed to make something good of her baby's passing. And she was so honored and so thankful, you know, for this opportunity. So one of the things that we always stress in the DSS is you never know what kind of hello you're going to get when you call that family. Mm -hmm. Um, But by the end of that conversation, the bond that we've created, the opportunities that we've given, and not that the education that we have provided, because a lot of our times um, that we're on the phones, we have put to rest so many myths that they may have so that then they go, you know, spread the proper information. So it's, it's a, a win-win situation and so many angles when working with our family. Yes. It has such a ripple effect, which is so absolutely important, is really important. Talk about how the DSS is staffed. What does that look like? Is it a nine to five job? Is it, what is it? So we are <laughs> 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, because death has no time frame. It can happen at any time of the day. Accidents happen at any time of the day. So we all work three 12-hour shifts, which is wonderful. We work 7 to 7 for 7A to 7P for day shifts, 7P to 7A for night shifts. We do work all holidays and weekends, um, but we've worked well to have some remote options for major holidays and um, for future plans for working remote, which is always very nice. We work pretty much three on a shift because we could have um, many, many families that we need to reach out to and we need that support. And that support isn't just for the caseload, but it's also for us individuals because, you know, when we work with deaf all day long, it's nice to have that bond, that family atmosphere in the DSS where we can hang up the phone and just take five minutes and, you know, just talk about what we need to talk about with each other. It's kind of like many therapists in there as well, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it is my favorite department. Just I'm always in there because they just it's just got great energy. Everyone's really nice and they also make popcorn. And you said that on a recorded <laughs> that's recorded. So everybody heard we're her favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh oh we get in trouble but it is. I just like going over the visit. It just, you know, I'm having a stressful day. It's just, okay, I'm going to pop in and see, see what the crew's doing over here. And you guys always yes, get that one, though. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what is it that led you to Life Center five and a half years ago? Absolutely. So in 2006, my cousin was killed by a drunk driver um, and he became an organ and tissue donor. And that was the first time I had ever heard of organ and tissue donation. That's the first time I had ever experienced anything with Life Center. So we went through that process and it, very, it took a big toll on our family. Um, and it did take, I was very young at the time. I was a young teenager when we lost Jason. So it took me a while to learn a lot of things. Well, then in nursing school, my senior capstone project, I wanted to work with Life Center. And we set up an education table outside of the Batavia BMV where we educated anybody who would listen to us. But mm-hmm. I had to come to Life Center's offices to get brochures and some things for our table. And I walked out of there and I looked at my friend and I said, I will work here one day. Mm. And that was 2010. And it only took me six years to get my way 
find my way to Life Center, and I will never regret it. And I pray and hope that I get to retire from this company one day. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, the the, the bright side of the unfortunate passing of Jason, your cousin, is that, you know, we got to meet his parents and daughter, and they've, you know, become a part of this community, this donation community. And they've done so much in greater Cincinnati to honor Jason's legacy as a donor and also just help fuel the education efforts that we do in the community by holding the memorial golf outing in his honor. We're just, we're grateful to them for doing that. They've just, they've been, they've just been wonderful friends to the mission. We just appreciate them very much. Absolutely. So if people are interested in um, looking at positions, I just wanted to remind everyone, you can visit lifepassiton.org. I think we do have some open positions in donation support services at the moment. Mm-hmm. So I think, Erica, you've done a great job just kind of talking through what it looks like, but I also think it's just important, you know, check it out, look at the qualifications and the responsibilities. And if this is something that, you know, is kind of pulling on you on the inside, like, I want to dive into this, please do that because this really is, it is life-changing work for the families and individuals that we serve. I also feel like for us, it's kind of life-changing. I don't know if you feel that way, but- a lot of us here, we've been here a long time, and there's a reason for that. And I really think it's centered around around the mission. And so I'm just, I'm proud to be a part of this organization. I agree on that. Absolutely. Is there anything else you would like to add? No, I think that if anybody is interested, um, it's such a rewarding career. It's such a rewarding feeling to talk to families and just see that support system for them and just to walk them through the process. And, you know, being a donor family and now wife, it's having that opportunity that they, that Life Center provided for us. Just, it, it took the blow out of their death watch. Um, it took the blow out and we always will have something positive that came from our tragedies, no matter what happened. So I think that's what has made it a lot easier is there's my loved ones became superheroes because Life Center turned them into superheroes. So, you know, I think if, you know, if anybody's interested in providing that and having that connection with families, because when we tell our families, you've now been adopted into the Life Center family, they really do get adopted into our family. And this isn't a one and done phone call. We have now adopted you into our family. Um, we have families that call in that just want to talk to us. So if you're looking for that career where you just do something good for, you know, so many people and you just get to change the world and give this family that glimpse of hope, I would recommend coming to Life Center because it's 100% worth it. It definitely is. It is. And you also made a great point about the, the family aspect. Once um, a family's loved one has become a donor, either organ, eye, and tissue, or tissue and eye. However, it is another aspect of what we do is our aftercare department, where our team works with families for about 18 months following the death of their loved one just to provide resources. And so we will, as we get further into the series, have someone on from aftercare to really talk about what that is. 
And what I've tried to do with this series is I want to take listeners through the process. So starting with donation support services, because as I said, that's really where everything begins. And then in our next interview, we're going to talk with a donation coordinator to talk through that aspect of what that means. So we're going to walk through this step by step and hopefully really paint a picture about what this looks like, again, from the perspective of the Oregon Procurement Organization. So Erica, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. You did a fantastic job as always. Um, you are thank you. such such a great champion and, and cheerleader. And I just don't, I don't say that just because your daughter's a cheer, but <laughs> you are a great <laughs> cheerleader. <laughs> for our mission and what we do. And you're just always positive and a go-getter. And I appreciate everything that you do and your leadership. So I want to thank you for doing this. Um, And so as we, as we close out today, I just want to remind everyone that there are 106,065 people who are waiting for life-saving organ transplants. And about 90,000 of those people need kidney transplants. So your decision to be a donor, you taking the step to register to be a donor can mean life for a person who is dying. And these are women, men, children, there are neighbors, there are people who live and work in our communities, and they're also complete strangers who really just need our help. I encourage you to visit Life Pass It On to get informed, to be empowered, and to really learn the truths about donation. I wanna thank everyone for listening and just encourage you to be kind to yourself and to others. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Life Center. You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others. Those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By designating your decision to become a donor, you have the opportunity to change the lives of many and save up to eight lives. Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana say yes to donation by registering to become an organ, eye, or tissue donor today. Go to lifepassiton.org for more information. Thanks to LifeSetter for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.